Hi, it's Hillary. Welcome back to With Her. My schedule is a little busy this week, so Max is on his own for this episode. We're in Seattle. Yep. It's Friday night. It's like seven o'clock. You've had a pretty long week. So I'm on an eight-day, 12-state tour with some states, multiple stops in the states, and, yeah. I'm, and I'm halfway through. I got the total uh, right before you got here. <laughs> 19 states since you started. Yeah, and in, in four weeks, and I think 53 events. So I know you have like eight more events tomorrow, something insane. Yes. Uh, so you're not going to get a real weekend, <laughs> but I figured maybe uh, since it is Friday night and you've yeah. had a long week, uh, I was wondering if you would like to just like drink a beer and pretend like it's actually like a normal Friday night. I will drink a beer with you. So, okay, <laughs> Good man. You, so yeah, make the sound right in front of your mic. Yeah, that's the idea. Here it is. And I'm sure this is going to be local, right? You guys have picked a local beer of since course. we were in Seattle. We're, yeah, local brewery. An Elysian Space Dust IPA. I, I am Space Dust, so here's to you. <laughs> here's to yeah. you, man. Cheers. <laughs> Hey, I'm Max Linsky, and welcome back to With Her, Hillary Clinton's official campaign podcast. For this second episode, I got to spend some time with Hillary's running mate, Senator Tim Kaine, and we talked about how his life has changed and uh, how his family's life has changed since Hillary called and asked him to join the ticket. So take me back to the start. How does it happen? How do you get the phone call that you're going to be the nominee? The campaign, about maybe 48 hours before the Friday, July 22nd, were starting to ask where I was going to be, and they were not telling me to do anything different. So Friday uh, was a day where I was doing a fundraising event for me in Boston at lunch, and then Jack Reed, senator from Rhode Island and great friend, who will be the armed services chair and the in the Senate had asked me to come to a retreat that he does every year in Newport, Rhode Island. So I was down there and I was at a reception with him that started about six o'clock and maybe about 6.15 or so, I was told, uh, Secretary Clinton's gonna call you at 7.30. So we're at this fundraising reception that's on a marina. We're outdoors, we're all these people with Jack Reed. Wait, did you like, did you play it cool? Because I feel like oh, yeah, if someone no, told me I, that, I would just walk around and be like, she's going to call me 730? <laughs> no, no, don't make him, you know, don't let him see a sweat. So <laughs> I'm just, you know, hanging around and visiting with everybody. And then about 720, they kind of take me in. It's literally in the back room of a marina. I didn't see any live bait, but I did see like printer paper and, you know, big water dispensers that they put in the water coolers. And I'm in the back room of this marina. And... Uh, phone rings at 732. Not that it was a memorable moment or anything, but, uh, and then uh, Hillary and I had a really good visit for about 15 minutes where she said, I really want you to join this team and be my running mate. And I started to answer and she said, no, I want to tell you why first, which was really cool. And so for about five minutes, you know, I just listened and she told me of, because she had so many great people who would have been great on the ticket and great with her, but she said, here's why I think you're the right person. And then, uh, I told her, obviously, I'd be honored to do it, and we talked a little bit about what that meant. And then at the end of the phone call, she said, there's a team that's one mile away from you. you got to get to them very quickly, and they're basically going to take over your life. I said, how much time do I have before this news goes public? I'd kind of like to go tell my wife in person. She was at a hotel in town rather than call her on the phone. You got 15 minutes. So I thought, I think I can make it. <laughs> so I was able to tell my wife in person. So that's, that was what she said to me. You're going to get basically swept up in the campaign. And, and I said to her, um, 
Well, to quote Humphrey Bogart at the end of Casablanca, this could be the start of a beautiful relationship. So it was uh, it was an extremely memorable moment. Um, you know, I'll remember it like it happened five minutes ago for the rest of my life. So you take your 15 minutes, you get to Anne, she's in a hotel room, and what was her reaction? Yeah, so I had press. Press was following everybody being contemplated, so they're right outside this marina. And so if I'm going to get through them and get to Anne before they all know... Put on, like, the fake glasses, mustache. Go in a different car. So I had come in in one car, and I think it was one of Jack Reed's staffers. Okay, so now lend a car to this effort. Get me out and get me through the press so I can get back. And so I get back, go up to the hotel, and I said, Honey... I just got a call from Hillary. She's asked me if I'm going to be on the ticket. I told her, yes, it's going to be public in about five minutes. Why don't we call our three kids and our both of our parents? So here's your cell phone. Here's mine. <laughs> We're dividing up the the uh, five calls we have to make. Kind of like uh, when you get engaged and you have to call everybody. Yeah, you got to call everybody. You, know, you don't want to have other people hear about it the wrong way. But my wife was just, you know, absolutely thrilled. She's so supportive. Um, has been through my entire political career, and I've supported her in her public service life. So this is this kind of thing that we do where we each have these amazing opportunities before us, and then we kind of encourage and counsel each other about whether this is the thing we ought to be doing uh, in our married life. We've been married almost 32 years, and she's my best advisor on stuff like this. So, But she's a huge Hillary fan, and obviously was just absolutely thrilled. I'm sure it had been something you guys have been talking about. I mean, it was in the press, and I'm sure you knew you were being vetted and stuff like that. But was there a moment at any point in those first couple of days where the two of you or you yourself sort of stopped for a second and said, like, this is crazy? Well, it, it, uh, it was very surreal from the very beginning. But I would say, you know, we basically found out Friday in Miami Saturday, back home late Saturday night, four, 300 neighbors standing in front of our house <laughs> to welcome us home. Spent Sunday getting ready to go to the convention, went to the convention, went on a bus tour. When we came back into our house at the end of the buster, so now we're about 10 days into this, and there's security surrounding our house, and there's been all the emotion of the 10 days. And, you know, it's it's a big family thing, this whole thing with the kids and with our parents and getting her parents to come up to Philly. They're 90-plus. My parents, they're 80-plus. Other family. When we walked back into the house after the bus tour, she just broke down in tears. She won't mind me saying this. She was just like, I think it was the specter of getting back to our house and seeing so much security around our house. Right. That may have been the moment for her where it went from, this is surreal, probably not happening to, wow, this is really happening. My, my wife is just like my hero. She's the greatest public. She's, I, I feel like in my house of five, you know, like I'm, I'm struggling to even be in second place in terms of <laughs> most valuable public servant in my, at, at my address. Um, my wife is just a great public servant. And, and look, she made an emotional decision. I mean, my son Nat is with us in Miami. He, he has flown down from Camp Lejeune because he's deploying. He can't even come to the convention, deploying overseas. So he's there with his fiance. That's very emotional. Mm-hmm. You're a military parent and your kid deploys overseas. That's right. very emotional. So being on the ticket's emotional. And then Nat is there with his fiance, and he's deploying overseas till Christmas or after. That's very emotional. And then we're talking to Hillary, how much would you like Ann to help on the trail? I want every minute of Ann that Ann can give us. And so my wife decides, I think I'm going to walk in Monday and resign as Secretary of Education. That's a big deal. So that wasn't something she'd been thinking about? That was kind of spur of the moment? She had been thinking about it, but, you know, in the sense of you don't want to be presumptuous. You know, it's right. prob- it, it wasn't probably only until the last 36 hours where I thought it was more than a 50-50 chance that it would happen. Mm-hmm. My wife's passions are families and kids, juvenile justice, foster care education. I mean, these are Hillary's passions. And so to have a chance, okay, now I'm 
I can work on this campaign, I think I want to do it full time. That means I got to step down as Secretary of Education. That's not a minor decision to no. make. Not just step down, but also become a public spouse first. Yeah. My wife has kept her own name and has had her own, you know, really remarkable public service career, legal aid lawyer, juvenile court judge, first lady who helped reform our foster care system, passionate secretary of education. And so to to give that up, which she did very willingly, like, this is what I want to do, but it's still a sacrifice. So you go home, you guys have that moment together in the house. It's kind of overwhelming yeah, security around. Definitely. And then I assume what happens next is you start thinking about, I mean, you're obviously incredibly well-known in Virginia, uh, governor, senator, but not super well-known in the other 49 no, states. No, no. So, you know, like a practical sense, not in like a 30,000-foot cosmic sense, but in a practical sense, like how do you go about introducing yourself to 49 other states? <laughs> you know, I was thinking, well, say if, if I get picked and then I'm on a stage, what is the first thing I say? Yeah. And my whole thinking about this is what I say is, how thank yous, and let me tell you what's so great about Hillary Clinton. But when I got asked if I would be on the ticket, and then we go to the plane and we're flying to Miami, they, the team hands me a draft, and they say, okay, here's a draft speech. It's got to be yours, but we got a three-hour plane ride. So here's a speech, here's a computer, make it yours. And two-thirds of it is my story. Mm -hmm. That's not what I like to talk about. <laughs> That's not your style. I'm a Midwesterner, and so is Hillary. She, I think we have a similarity in that talking about ourselves is not our natural MO. But that is like part of the job, right? I mean, yeah, I've been able to be blissfully free of that part of the job. I like to talk. I mean, I am a U.S. Senator. I, mean, <laughs> we, we, I do like to talk, but I would really like, I'd like to talk about other people or other things. And so they've prepared this speech that's very heavily me telling my story. Mm -hmm. And then getting into what's important about the campaign and, and, and Hillary, and I'm like, wow, this is not what I would have done. But I guess 49 states don't know me very well, so maybe I should. So I spent a lot of time, the, the entire flight to Miami, you know, I might have had a beer or I might have had a bourbon. And I was just sitting there on the computer, like rewriting it and making it about me. And then I, when I was on stage, I've ad-libbed a lot of it. I mean, I, was, I had a teleprompter, but I freelanced a bunch of it just because the audience was talking to me and I was talking back to them. But what I realized at, at, after it was done is had the Clinton team not put a speech before me that was two-thirds me telling my story, I wouldn't have done it. But it was, it was fun. Voters are smart. They know that whatever you're talking about during the campaign, 60 days after Inauguration Day, there may be some huge issue that the whole nation is riveted upon that we have to make a decision about that we never talked about during the campaign. Right. And, and in fact, that's almost guaranteed to happen. So if you're picking a leader, it, you got to kind of know who somebody is. Over these last four weeks, 19 states, however many events, while you've been out trying to tell your story, have you, have you learned anything new about yourself? Hmm. Well, the answer is I've learned a tremendous amount about my own genealogy. So here's a funny thing. If you get on a ticket, the world's professional genealogists just go to work to determine your ancestors. We had a pretty good sense of who my uh, parents and grandparents were and where they came from. But, but I've learned some surprising things about my genealogy like that what? I didn't know. Well. According to all the genealogism, 82% Irish, 18% Scottish, which for having been, you know, my forebears came about 150 years ago. I, I say I'm about, as, I'm about as stone Irish as you get if you've been in the country for 150 years. Mm. But I learned that my Scottish side, 
uh, great great grandfather Peter Kane was actually born in Ireland and then moved to Scotland so I don't so there's more to learn in that but even my Scottish side is really Irish and I learned that my Scottish great grandfather Alexander Kane was in a pitchfork fight in a stable in Topeka Kansas in the 1890s that made the newspaper I didn't know that did he win the scars would say he lost but the court outcome would suggest he won so <laughs> all right so four weeks you've been out for four weeks we're on your one month anniversary What's the best perk? Do you have like a rock star rider now? Do you need like a bowl of blue M&Ms and stuff? Organic lemonade. <laughs> That's your go-to? I mean, yeah, I am like Mr. Diva, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> lemonade with, with real sugar, I like. Um, and then, and then I, don't, I wouldn't call this a perk, but I would call, I would call this the single best advantage is the, the upside of my wife sacrificing to give up her job is that we're out on the trail together some. So, you know, she's campaigning full-time too, but we are together some, and then we're, you know, covering different territory. You got you know, to flood the zone and cover as many states as you can. But if my wife is with me on the road, that is almost by definition like vacation. Across the country right now, husbands are listening to what you just said and being like, oh God, this guy's so much better than I am. <laughs> that kind of relates to another thing I wanted to ask you about, which was I talked to a bunch of people about you before we talked here. Uh, literally, is not an exaggeration. Every single person, including Hillary, said he's just the nicest guy. <laughs> Every single person, he's just the nicest guy. Well, I grew up in New York, and in New York, you you're you're taught yeah. that you can't be nice and be successful. Yeah, you are the vice presidential nominee. Pretty successful. Mm-hmm. It's worked out. Mm-hmm. How can you do that and be a nice guy? So who was it? Which it was Leo DeRocher, I think. Nice guys finish last. Yeah, uh, you know, great baseball manager. The real answer is, you just got to be true to yourself. I mean, I you know, don't try to be a nice guy if that's not your mo, or don't try to be a jerk if you're a nice guy. And I, I remember I had this insight once when I was mayor of Richmond. One of the things I used to do as mayor is go to different churches. I have a church that I'm really into, but you know, you go around to different churches at celebrations and things. And I remember once thinking after I had done this for a couple of years, wow, preachers have very different styles. You know, some, is, some are this way, some are that way. And I remember thinking, you know, and every style can actually work if it's sincere. You know, they're the intellectual types, and then there are the super emotional types, and then there are preachers who work songs into their cadence, and then there are preachers who have a speech defect and stutter, but it doesn't matter. It, it, if it's you, it, it can work. If you're trying to do something other than you, it's not going to work. So I think the issue really is, you know, do it your own way. And so I, I just think I was raised a certain way with parents who were kind people who placed an emphasis on that, who never said a negative word about anybody. And, I mean, I am in a tough line of work. Not everyone who does what you do is uh, is nice. Yeah. I've had to make a lot of hard decisions. I mean, you know, you have to make t- very tough decisions, even life or death decisions. In, in what I've done, but you just, it, treating people with kindness and respect makes everything go better. I was a city councilman for two terms before I was mayor, and I watched mayors, and what I noticed is if they let their temper get the better of them, they treated somebody bad, like a citizen who was up talking about some issue, it never ended up working out well. Mm-hmm. The whole thing just spiraled downward, you know? So I also feel like generally, if you're trying to get something done, what does it benefit to like, vent off and be a jerk. I mean, it usually makes things work out worse rather than better. And we are in this line of work to try to do things. And so why 
you know, why mess up your opportunity? Mm -hmm. Does that relate to this shift that you have undergone in the last, I don't know, 15 years or whatever it's been when you started on the city council, that was real local retail politics. Yeah, absolutely. The, the work you were doing was going to affect the people you saw every yeah. day. Mm -hmm. I'm interested in how that scales up to what you're doing now. Mm -hmm. When you were in Richmond, if you had a policy and someone saw it, you might see them at like the bakery that morning. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. You're not going to see most of these people at the bakery. Yeah. How do you make that leap? What I say to anybody, in fact, I was doing an event earlier today and had a, I was doing an event in Portland earlier today and the, and the mayor elect of Portland who will come in as mayor in January is there. And I just pointed to him and I said, look, if I'm good at anything in politics, it's because I started in local politics. Richmond, we ran nonpartisan. We knew who the Dems and ours were, but that wasn't the most important thing. It's all about accessibility because they do talk to you at the bakery. I, I had a woman once rear end my pickup truck on Broad Street when they were writing her a ticket, the police. And the policeman who came to the scene said, oh, Mr. Mayor, how are you doing? The woman goes, wait, are you the mayor? I am. Hey, there's this zoning issue that's coming up before city council. I mean, as they're writing her a ticket and she realized I'm the mayor, she wants to lobby me about something. But that accessibility is great. And then the other thing about local offices, it is very much about results. And people got to see it and touch it. I, I will say that having been in local office, I have a profound belief that it's the the big deal isn't passing the bill the big deal is once it's passed can it get implemented in a way that has a positive impact in people's neighborhoods and schools and workplaces and and cities you know it, you got to do something that has a tangible effect and i think local service kind of puts my calibration of whether it's good or bad into that perspective which i think has been helpful well i don't want to uh, take too much more of your time. Thanks for the beer. Yeah, here, let's do this. Yeah, there we are. All right, thank you much. Thanks for listening to With Her, and thanks to our co-host, Max Linsky. That was fun. The show will be back soon with more from the campaign trail, but in the meantime, please subscribe on iTunes or get updates and a notification on the next episode by texting the word podcast to 47246. See you on the trail.